The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Well, good morning. If you've got your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Joshua 20, but uh, be ready. We're going to go to some other passages this morning. We're going to go to Genesis, we're going to go to Numbers, and then we're going to go to Romans. So uh, I hope y'all are ready. I'm excited this morning. Um, but go ahead and turn to, to Joshua chapter 20. And that's where we're going to continue to walk through this book of Joshua. That is, uh, we've been, we're getting towards the end of it. And it's been so good as we've looked at this battle of faithfulness. But as we get to, to Joshua 20 and 21, then we see this passage that, that Granger had read to us at the end of 21. And it's, it's such a beautiful picture that, that at the end of 21, we see the culmination of what began in, in chapter 13. But ultimately what began like 400 years earlier when God made a promise to Abraham about this land that they would come into. And so we see in Joshua 13 that he says, hey, there's a lot more land that, that you still got to conquer. And so they walk through this land and we get to the end of Joshua chapter 21, if you look at it with me, starting in verse 41. It says, the cities of the Levites in the midst of the possession of the people of Israel were in all 48 cities with their pasture lands. These cities each had its pasture land around it. So it was with all these cities. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it. And they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of their enemies had withstood them. For the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. God had been faithful. Now, we know that the people's faithfulness had waved. But God had been faithful. He did everything he said he was going to do. And the cool thing about the God of Joshua is it's the same God today. It's the same God of Genesis. It's the same God of, of Romans. It's the same God of Revelation. We have the same God. He has not changed. He is the same. And so what we'll see is that you can base your life off of the promises of God. And you will get to the end of your life and you will see that not one word of the good promises which the Lord has given you have failed. That's something you can take to the bank. That's something to base your life on. That's something that's not going to leave you at the end saying, Oh, I wish I'd have done different. Every word of God's promises will come to pass. You can take it to the bank. So this morning, let me just explain kind of what we're going to do based on the fact that we know God's faithfulness. We're going to look at his faithfulness and his provision. But what we're going to do is, is we're going to read the whole chapter of Joshua 20. I'm giving you all a roadmap here real quick. We're going to read the whole chapter of Joshua 20. Then we're going to back up to get a little bit of the context of it in Genesis 6. And then we're going to jump forward just a little bit to Numbers 35 to get a little more context. And then we're going to jump forward to the New Testament and apply it to our life. Okay, so we're going to see these characteristics of God, these principles that God has laid out based on the fact that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Then we can pull out these truths from God's word and we can see them true in our own life. 
Okay, and so that's what we're going to do. Um, we, we love to, here at Norris Ferry, we see the Bible as one book. Okay, it's got multiple books within it, but it's one book. And so the things that we see at the beginning carry through and they're pointing us forward to this man named Jesus. And so we get to see how God points us forward and how God's character stays the same. And we get to see how everything makes sense with Christ. And then we get to see ultimately how it how it moves forward in the end. So God, we look at God's word as as telling us who God is, what he's doing and how you and I can be a part of it. Let me say that again. It's who God is, what he's doing and how you and I can be a part of it. So before we begin, let me pray for us that God would reveal himself to us this morning. Dear Lord, I, I do just love that song that that Lord haste the day when our faith shall be sight. God, that, that what we take from your word in faith, Lord, one day we'll see. Lord, that, that this hope that we have, Lord, one day will be a reality. God, and so we pray that as we look at your word this morning, Lord, you would reveal yourself to us. That you would give us eyes to see you. Lord, that you would give us ears to hear from you. God, and that you would do a miracle in our heart. Lord, to, to transform our desires, that we would desire the things which you desire. God, would you meet with us this morning? Would you speak through your word? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Joshua chapter 20. Let's read the whole chapter, if you'll read with me. <clears throat> then the Lord said to Joshua, Say to these people of Israel, appoint the cities of refuge. If you're a Bible underliner, great phrase, cities of refuge, underline it. Of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. Underline it, circle it. That's important. Avenger of blood. Verse four. He shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and explain his case to the elders of that city. Then they shall take him into the city and give him a place, and he shall remain with them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give up the manslayer into his hand, because he struck his neighbor unknowingly and did not hate him in the past. And he shall remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment, until the death of him who is the high priest at that time. Then the manslayer may return to his own town and his own home to the town from which he fled. So they set apart Kadesh in Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali and Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and Kiriath Arba, which is Hebron in the hill country of Judah. And beyond the Jordan, east of Jericho, they appointed Bezer in the wilderness on the tableland from the tribe of Reuben and of and Ramoth in Gilead from the tribe of Gad. And Goan in Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities designated for all the people of Israel. And for the strangers sojourning among them. That anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there. So that he might not die by the hand of the avenger of blood. Till he stood before the congregation. Okay, so I want to... If you come across this passage in your Bible reading. Then you probably read it and you're like, okay, cool. How does it apply to my life? I don't really get it. Like, cool story. Awesome. 
God did something that was pretty cool. Like, I like it. Right? That's, that's where we're at. And we're like, okay, next chapter. Okay, but what I want to do is, is show you that as you continue to mine into the scriptures, then there's jewels to be found. There's incredible truths about who God is, which once you unearth them, then you get to see what Christ has done for you. And you go, oh, that's good. Oh, it's so beautiful. And so what I want to do is I want to unearth some of these truths about who God is. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. He's the same. This is the same God which we serve. And I want to show you these truths. So let's look at verse one. Here's one of the truths I want, to, I want you to see. I want you to see that God is the mastermind behind the cities of refuge. This is God's idea, right? So it says, verse 1, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Say to the people of Israel, Appoint the cities of refuge. Right? This is straight out of the, the mouth of God. God speaking to Moses, and then Moses Passes it on to Joshua. And so Joshua is now telling the people. Right? And so the Lord said this to Moses. And now Joshua is proclaiming it. It's coming into reality. So we see that the cities of refuge come straight from the voice of God. This is God's plan. And so if God has a plan for it, then there's something which we can gain from this, okay? And so, so God's plan is that they set up these cities. And so if you'll look in your Bible on your own, not this morning, then you can see more about this in Exodus 21. It's promised. You see more about this in Numbers 35, which we're going to look at in a little bit. You see more about this in Deuteronomy 4. You see more about this in Deuteronomy 19. And then we see it come into reality here in Joshua 20. So these cities of refuge, what were they for? Well, there's several examples throughout these other passages. And so let me give them to you today. Let's say that, uh, that you got a couple of construction workers. Let's call one of them Henry and one of them Will, okay? So Henry and Will are construction workers. What are you guys laughing about? So, so we got a couple of construction workers. And, and let's say that one of them's up on top of the, the scaffolding and they're building the wall. And uh, you know, he, he leans back a little bit and bumps a rock. Now, it's not just a little rock, but it's a big rock. And it falls and hits one of them in the head. Now, his buddy's down there and, and dead because he just got hit in the head with this rock. Now, the other one's up, up on top of the scaffolding going, I didn't mean to, right? I didn't mean to. That's my friend. It's his friend that he's just killed. And so what is he supposed to do? Well, he's supposed to flee to a city of refuge. Okay, this is God's provision for him. God has provided. He's supposed to flee to a city of refuge before the avenger of blood can get to him. Okay, well, we get another example. Let's say that we got a couple other guys um, and they're lumberjacks like Pierce and Jonathan. Okay, so Pierce and Jonathan are lumberjacks and they, they go into the forest and, uh, and, and they're chopping some wood. And one of them goes to chop and the axe head flies off, hits his friend, kills him. He's like, uh-oh. It's not supposed to happen that way, right? And so he's like, oh man, my friend is dead. What's he supposed to do? Flee to a city of refuge before the avenger of blood can get to him. Okay, we get another example that, that let's say that a, a couple of guys are on some donkeys and they're traveling. Okay, and, and so, so let's say this is like Ethan and Nate and they're, they're traveling. And then uh, one of them's donkey like 
gets a little unruly, bumps into the other donkey, knocks him off of the cliff, and they both fall to their death, right? He's like, "Uh uh-oh, wasn't supposed to happen, right? Didn't mean to do that. This is bad. Okay, what's he supposed to do? He's supposed to ride that donkey to the city of refuge, right? He's supposed to flee to the city of refuge. Well, why? He's supposed to flee to the city of refuge because there's someone called the avenger of blood who is trying to find him, who is seeking him out. Okay, so we need to understand who is this avenger of blood in order to understand this text. And so we see from the mind of God, God has set up these cities of refuge as a provision, as protection from the avenger of blood for a time period when they commit, when they kill someone without intent, when they didn't mean to. And so the avenger of blood, if you've underlined it, The avenger of blood is this person who is designated within the family as the person who is going to avenge any of the family members who are killed. Okay, now we're going to look at this a little bit more in just a minute, okay? So just keep that in the back of your mind. It's a relative. It's the first of kin to the relative who's been killed, who's willing to avenge their death. All right, so... Let's look at another principle that we get, another truth that we get out of this passage, out of Joshua 20. Here's what I want you guys to see. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, And he shall remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment, until the death of him who is the high priest at the time. Then the manslayer may return to his own town and his own home for the town from which he fled. Okay, so the second truth that we see from this passage in the explanation of this city of refuge is that someone who had committed, who had killed someone without intent, that means that they didn't have anger in their heart, it wasn't out of jealousy, they did not intend to kill them, then they can flee to a city of refuge. And so they would, they would show up at the gate and they would say, hey, let me in. And the elder would say, why? Tell me, tell me why. And they would explain what happened. So they'd be like, I was chopping wood with my friend and the axe head flew off and it killed him. And so he had let him in. And what they would do is, is they would stay there and they would assemble a court. They would assemble this congregation and they would stand judgment before the congregation. So they had a trial. Okay. Was he really innocent? Did he really do this without intent? Or did he actually not like this guy? Did he have anger in his heart? Was he jealous? And so he would stand trial. Now, if the trial found him not guilty, if they found him innocent, that he did this without intent, what we might call an accident, the Bible talks about it as like God gave them over to this incident. Okay, so no accidents with God, but we would say an accident, then what they would do is that person would live within that city. Okay? Now remember this. They have fled from wherever they've been to that city. So they've left land, wife, kids, family, whatever it is. You know, their business, whatever it is. They've had to flee from there. So they've left it. And they're now in this city of refuge to which they can live. Now they have to stay in that city this whole time until... The high priest who was alive at the time of their judgment dies. Okay, now file this away in your head. This is if that person left the city and the avenger of blood found him, he could kill him. 
So they had to stay in the city. They could not leave. I mean, you think about this. If that's like, ah, I got to run out for some errands real quick. Then it's like, you're looking over your shoulder like, who's out to get me, right? So, so there's freedom, but it's not real freedom. And so they live in this city until the high priest who was alive at the time dies. Now, this is going to be important later. So remember it. Okay, so let's look at this last point that I want you to get from this. If you look at this map that's up here, then uh, then we're going to read about it in Joshua verse nine, 20, verse nine. Okay, so Joshua 20, verse nine, it says, these were the cities designated for all the people of Israel for the stranger sojourning among them that anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there. So that he might not die by the hand of the avenger of blood till he stood before the congregation. Okay, so, so these cities that you see up here, look at where they're spread out. These are the six cities which were called the cities of refuge. Now, if you look at where they're all placed, then really just about everywhere in the whole promised land is within about a day's journey of a city of refuge. These cities were accessible. These cities were incredibly accessible, both geographically and demographically. You see, these cities weren't just a refuge for Israel. They were also a refuge for the stranger who was sojourning through. So these cities are a refuge and they're incredibly accessible. Okay. Now, what we've just looked at is is under what we would call the Old Covenant. Okay, so you guys have heard Tracy talk about this, that the Old Covenant, it's uh, this covenant which God made with Abraham and with uh, Moses. And so it's this Old Covenant where, where God gave these laws in which Israel and the people of God could interact with God. Okay, so let's, I want you to flip back to Genesis chapter 6. If you've got your Bible, flip back there. We're going to look at this because in order for us to really understand these refuge cities, then we need to understand more fully who God is and what he's doing. Okay, so so if we'll flip over to Genesis chapter six. Then right before this story, actually in Genesis four, then we hear this story of um, of a guy named Cain and Abel. And you guys know this story like. Cain kills Abel. And so in order to better understand the avenger of blood, this is where we have to go. And so Cain kills Abel and God comes to Cain and he says, hey, where's your brother? And what does Cain say? He says, am I my brother's keeper? I don't know what happened to him. Well, Cain knows exactly what happened to him. But what is God's response to Cain? God says, your brother's blood cries out from the ground. That's interesting, right? But he says, your brother's blood is crying out from the ground. And so we see this, this really interesting thing. And so then God goes through and, and God actually acts as the avenger of blood because the blood is, has been shed. And so God acts as the avenger of blood. Cain says, like, I can't bear this curse. It's going to kill me. God actually provides a little bit of refuge for Cain and says, no, no one will kill you because I'm going to protect you. Okay, so then we get to, to Genesis chapter 6. And we get this story, this nice, cute little story about a man and lots of animals, right? We get this story about Noah and the ark. And look with me at verse 5 of Genesis chapter 6. 
says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention, catch that, every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Okay, then jump down to verse 9. It says, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. So we've got the whole generation. We've got all the people in the earth are corrupt and evil. And that the intentions of their heart is to do evil. And then we've got Noah, who God has favor on, and it says is righteous and walks with God. Okay, now we'll look at verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Okay, so we see that God sees man's heart, that they're evil. And it talks about that they've polluted the land, that the land is corrupt, that the intentions of their heart is to do evil, that all flesh, all land is corrupt. Okay, now flip over to Numbers chapter 35, and this is all going to come together. Just a few more books to the right. Numbers chapter 35, verse 33 and 34. All right. Now, starting in verse 30, actually, okay? So starting in verse 30, we're going to read through the bottom of 34. It says, If anyone kills a person... The murderer shall be put to death on the evidence of witnesses. So God makes a distinction, murder and killing without intent. So there's a distinction for God. Okay, so here's what he says. But no person shall be put to death on the testimony of one witness. Moreover, you shall accept no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall be put to death. And you shall accept no ransom for him who has fled to the city of refuge, that he may return to dwell in the land before the death of the high priest. Verse 33, catch this. You shall not pollute the land in which you live, for blood pollutes the land. And no atonement can be made for the land for the blood that is shed in it, except by the blood of the one who shed it. You shall not defile the land in which you live, in the midst of which I dwell. For I, the Lord, will dwell in the midst of the people of Israel. Did you catch that? So here's, here it is. The blood pollutes the land, right? And only atonement for the land is the blood of the person who shed it. So we see in Genesis 6 that all the land is polluted. All the flesh is polluted. And so what does God do? God cleanses the land. God is the avenger of blood and cleanses the land by the shedding of all the blood of all that are guilty. Why is this important? It's this incredible poetic picture that God's washing clean the land because God dwells with his people in the land. 
And so we have this incredible problem that, that you have a corrupt and polluted land in which God desires to dwell and you have a holy God and the two don't coincide. And so he says, do not pollute the land. Blood pollutes the land. And so the only, the only atonement for the polluted land is the shed blood of those who had polluted it. Now, when we start to see this, then, then it starts to become this reality for us of, of we look at this, this reality of where we're at and we see pre-Old Covenant, we see the Old Covenant with Joshua and then as we look forward to this New Covenant, then, then we get to pull forward these realities because we know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we see as we look at this, that God is making this incredible provision for Joshua and for the people of Israel. That in the midst of blood being shed without intent, then God says, I'm going to make a provision for you. You can flee to a city of refuge. You can run to the city of refuge before the avenger of blood gets to you. Because the avenger of blood is doing what is just, right? They're shedding the blood of the one who has shed blood. And so they're cleansing the land. They're doing what God has said. But God makes this provision for those who have shed the blood without intent. That they can run to a city of refuge. And so then as we think about ourselves. And we think about these truths. Then there's some incredible realities to the gospel which we get to pull out so think about this with me as you turn to romans chapter 6 romans chapter 6 in the new testament we've walked through it so if you want to get those sermons um, about romans then uh, you can get those online but but here in romans chapter 6 Verse 23. Then we find this reality, which many of us are familiar with, that says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus our Lord. We come to this reality in the New Testament that, that all of us have this polluted life. All of us have this sinful, polluted soil in our life. We're just like the people in Moses' day. Or in Noah's day. We're just like those people. And so we see, we, like, we go, okay, so I'm sinful. And the only punishment that fits the sin of my life, the pollution of my life, is death. We know that from Romans, that for the wages of sin is death. Death. And so we face this reality that, that what we deserve is death. But God in his mercy has given us a city of refuge. God in his graciousness has given us a city of refuge. But some of you are going, wait, 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 wait. But the city of refuge was for those that, were, that did it without intent. And all of us, we sin with intent. You're exactly 
right. Matthew 5 says, you and I are all murderers. You and I, as we hate, we commit murder. That's what Jesus is talking about. And so we're in this place where, where we don't even fit the people who could flee to a city of refuge. Oh, but God in his mercy and grace, he provided someone who spilled their blood to atone the land. Who spilled his blood to pay where yours should have been spilled to pay. It's this incredible, beautiful picture of the reality of why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Oh, because the land of your life, the soil of your life had to be cleansed. And it was through the death of Jesus on the cross that his substitutionary blood took the place of yours and mine. That we could be free. That we could be innocent. You see, because there is an avenger of blood. God is the avenger of blood. And, and our lives have shed blood. Our lives are, are violent. Our sin is violent. We are the murderers who deserve to be hunted down. But oh, the grace of God that he provided Jesus in our place. And so we see from these same truths that we saw about the cities of refuge, we see them come to fruition in Christ, that that Christ is our refuge because he shed his blood for us. But do you remember what else about these cities of refuge? Oh, they're accessible. They're accessible to everyone. And so my plea to you today is that if you have never run to Jesus as your refuge, as your substitutionary atonement, do it today. He's accessible to you today. There's nothing that you have done past, present, or future that that will prevent you from getting to him. The scriptures are clear that it says whoever knocks the door will be opened to him. Come to him. It's urgent. You never know when the avenger of blood will come for you. This isn't fear tactics. This is the reality of the gospel. This is the truth of the gospel that God is an avenger of blood and he will come. And what we see in Revelation is we see this incredible picture that God does not delight in the death of the wicked, but that he's slow. And so we see in Revelation that, that there's actually martyrs who are saying, Lord, how long until you avenge our blood? And he says, a little longer. A little longer. Oh, it's this picture that God is the avenger of blood, but that he's also the city of refuge to which we run. But there was another truth about these cities of refuge. That you had to run to them and flee. And you had to stay in that city until the high priest died. Now catch this. This is incredible. Do we who have run to Jesus have a high priest who has died? Oh, yes, we do. Oh, yes, we do. For Jesus is the great high priest. And he died that we would be set free completely. 
We don't have to be worried about, is God, is God going to find me? Is God going to find me? Am I, am I really free? We don't have to, we don't have to have that fear because the scriptures tell us that those who are in Christ, there's no condemnation for you anymore. Like your sin has been forgiven and it's cast as far as the east is from the west. Like you are free. You don't have to live under the guilt and condemnation of it. You are free. Because the high priest has died. You're now free. So we see from these cities of refuge, these incredible truths about Christ that, oh, he's accessible. Oh, he's our refuge. And oh, because of him, we are free. And so my challenge to you, if you've never run to him, do it today. Do it today. It's urgent. But for those of us who have found refuge in Christ, then then I just want to challenge you to, to soak in this. Soak in the reality that that it was your blood that should have been spilled. It was your blood that the avenger of blood was coming to shed. But Christ spilled his so you wouldn't have to. There's an incredible depth to the gospel right there. There's an incredible just richness to the gospel to soak in the fact that Jesus' blood shed for you atoned for the price which you had to pay so that God could dwell with you. It's incredible. But that truth ought to be the biggest motivation for you to share that with your friends, family, and neighbors. You live as a free person. There ought to be incredible joy to your life. That joy ought to be seen to your neighbors. I know a lot of times we get so focused on the circumstances around us that we forget the reality that you are free. We ought to live like that. But we ought to be burdened for our neighbors and our family who are living with the avenger of blood looking for them. Oh, we ought to tell them, just run to Jesus. You can be free. That guilt that you feel, that condemnation that you feel, that lack of peace that you feel, run to Jesus. He won't turn you away. Let me close just with some, some words to a song. As I've just dug into this, then, then the depth of the gospel has just become rich and alive. And, and a lot of these songs that sing about the gospel have become rich and alive. And so this song that many of us know, I think it, I think it pulls from Hebrews 6.13, which says, We who have fled for refuge might have a strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us that Christ has gone before. Okay? So think about these words. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, you who unto Jesus for refuge have fled. Have you fled to Jesus? Here's what the scriptures tell us. Fear not, I am with thee, O be not dismayed. For I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen and help thee and cause thee to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. 
The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. The soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no never, no never forsake. If you have run to Jesus for refuge, then he is holding you and will never forsake you. Run to Jesus for refuge. Let me pray. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.